0: Good morning, everyone. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for your life-giving word. Uh, and we pray that you would speak it into our hearts and minds and the actions of our hands today, that we might live for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how do you feel about church? Uh, do you love it? Uh, do you feel a bit indifferent about it? Uh, What do you love about it? Uh, The friendships, the message, the love? Uh, What could be better about it? The friendships, the message, the love? What is its place and purpose in your eyes? And even more so, what is its place and purpose in God's eyes? You see, arrive here at Ephesians 3, as we have today, and it has so much to say about the church. Now, how did you find listening to it being read out? Uh, Paul has a lot to say in these 21 verses, doesn't he? And I found that there were so many trees to look at at first, it was hard to see the forest. Uh, What with Paul's talk of mystery and grace and power and himself. And on top of that, starting one way in chapter 3 and then taking an aside for 12 verses before picking up how he'd started again two-thirds of the way through the chapter. But where does this chapter take us? It's all about the Lord Jesus Church. The word church is only mentioned once, but here is our origin story, very popular in the movie world at the moment, origin stories. Here we get a glimpse back into the delivery room to a new beginning, where rather than... Witnessing a precious child being born, we here see God's precious church being born. And as we understand the character of the church, we can appreciate what we've been given, uh, what we're part of, one another, and how to respond to this great privilege. Do have your Bibles open, uh, and as you cast your eye over chapter 3, there are two main parts Uh, where the way the chapter begins in verse 1 and then seems to begin again with the same words in verse 14 gives shape to the two main points. And the first is God's great plan, the church. The second is what Paul prays for those in the church. Now, before we delve into each, remember what we've reminded each other as we read uh, Ephesians that where even though we divide it up into parts so we can look at each part uh, more closely, we need to remember the parts are part of a whole. Uh, And we need to do that again as we come to verse 1 here where Paul says, "'For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, "'for the sake of you Gentiles.'" And that for this reason is something that we need to ask, well, why is that here? Paul's looking back to chapters 1 and 2. In chapter 1, we're reminded that God gave us every spiritual blessing God has to offer as Christians. And in chapter 2, how we were helpless to earn them for ourselves. In fact, we were dead to God. And it's only through Christ we're alive. But because of that, for this reason... Paul is about to tell how he prays for all those who have been given God's new life, who have become Christians. But just as he's about to do that, he reminds himself of something closely related, something he thinks is really important to say. Uh, Do you know what this is like? Have you ever had that experience where you're talking and a word or a phrase triggers you off on another thought and you're off and away down that path? Well, Paul's trigger here are the words prisoner and Gentiles. He's a prisoner for you Gentiles. And since his role and experience is so closely tied to God's plans, it's a cause for special attention. He gives it special attention as he tells us a bit of his own story, the one we heard both here and in Galatians. But he's telling it, so that he can focus on the story of God's church. He'll get back to the prayer in verse 14, uh, but have a look at this now in verses 1 to 13, God's great plan, the church. As you listen to verses 2 to 6, did you notice a word that's repeated here a number of times? The word mystery. We're told in verse 3 that this mystery was made known to Paul by revelation from God. Uh, We're told in verses 4 and 5 that it wasn't available to people in the past, but now it has been made available. And that's the thing about a mystery in the Bible. We often think about a mystery as something that's a secret or hidden that remains so, like an unresolved disappearance or who really shot JFK. In the Bible, a mystery was certainly once like that, uh, but now it's no longer a secret anymore. So the mystery in the Bible is more like a mystery novel where everything is revealed before it ends. That's exactly the case here. Uh, Paul goes on to tell how this secret is now revealed by God in verse 6. And remember, Israelites, uh, as we read this, divided the world into two groups of people Israelites and the rest. The rest they call Gentiles, verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Heirs together, one body. He's talking about the church. It's a reminder of what we talked about uh, in the second half of chapter two. Um, But do you struggle to see why it's such a big deal? I think many of us do, and for a couple of reasons. Uh, The first is our main experience of church as it is now, uh, is a church where uh, it's different from when it was first in the delivery room. Uh, Now, nearly everyone in church is a Gentile by Israelite standards, and very few of us come from Israel. But remember this, Israel had the promises of God and his law. The effect that had, though, given everyone on both sides of the uh, fence were sinful, was self-importance and animosity and jealousy. Given we haven't experienced the Gentile-Israelite divide, I wonder if something closer to our experience is the separation anxiety that comes with a family breakdown. And no one wants to see it happen, but I think we've all been touched by divorce and breakdown, whether it's in our extended family or amongst our friends or even in our own personal experience. And if you reflect on the separation and the hostility and the ongoing impact we can experience there, maybe that captures the gravity of the divide between Israel and the Gentiles. But with one important difference, a difference that only escalates the problem further again is that Israel had the inside run on the promises of God where the Gentiles did not. The mystery that's revealed through Jesus is that God changes all that. Uh, There is no Israel in the church and no Gentiles in the church. It's a fresh start. The differences mean nothing now. In fact, they've been overcome by God's power. Now God's power has been given to both. And so we may be part of God's church. Uh, You and I, Us included. We can receive the promises of God even though we were people who were far off from those promises. We were people who weren't Israelites just as most of the world wasn't. The birth of the church through Jesus' life and death and resurrection. This, what we're looking at today, is the most pivotal moment in history. Bigger than man on the moon bigger than the Industrial Revolution, bigger than the invention of the printing press. And we are part of it. Now, Paul himself was given a special part to play in these events. Not only did he receive the mystery in verses 2 to 6, the wonderful outworking of God's loving kindness or grace in the world, he was charged with announcing it to others, we read in verses 7 to 13. He preached the gospel to the Gentiles in verse 8. He describes it as the boundless riches of Christ. I don't know if you've ever seen those pictures. We certainly hear about them from time to time of those huge quarries and mines in Western Australia or the gold mines out in Orange with the, the rich uh, uh, value of the things that they mine out of them. Uh, and But this vein, the one we're looking at here in God's word, goes on without end. It won't run out for us where God has included us as his children, as his family, as one church forever. In fact, in verse 9, Paul announced the same gospel to everyone. There wasn't one for this group of people and another for some other group because God's plan for his new church was good for all, whether you were a Gentile or an Israelite. And so we come to verse 10 and verse 10 and 11, where here this is like a mini climax in Ephesians as we read, God's intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms uh, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you think of the world as a stage, uh, you know, in the, like in the theatre, with God as the director, with Christ as the lead actor playing out God's script, We've joined him in the heart of the performance, second in importance only to him, in the spotlight, his showcase of his wonderful grace. And who is watching on and amazed? The rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, we've told. The angels and spiritual beings that we can't even see who, even though we can 't see them like we can 't see God, they didn 't know the mystery either, but see it unfold before their eyes and glorify God that this is his plan now this explains why Paul felt everything he needed uh, felt that he needed to say in the chapter that we 've read today and in the ones that have come before. Because the church is so important, so precious, such an extraordinary, uh, overflowing picture of the grace of God that He should that He should include any, let alone include the many. But the challenge he meets, the challenge he meets here for the Ephesians and maybe for us too, is that we'd be discouraged by the apparent frailty of the church. Look at Paul. Uh, Look at the leader whose life was so intertwined with God's message. He was beaten, shipwrecked and imprisoned. He was writing from prison. So much for don't blame the messenger. (laughs) His message about God's church brought down on him suffering from every side. The one who had been the persecutor became the persecuted. What about you? Does the church and God's plan appear frail to you? Just before you answer that, let's be clear here. Paul and the other New Testament writers, they use the word for church uh, for two types of gatherings. A Church just means that. It means gathering uh, wherever you might do it. Uh, But if you don't gather, you're not a church. And so the first gathering is the heavenly gathering or church pictured here in verse 10. A reality now, we're told, the gathering of all those who've trusted the Lord Jesus. The second way it's talked about is the local church, like we are here right now. Not talking about buildings or denominations or the church across the world, but this The one church of God which at the moment we don't see is visible through the many gatherings of Christians, the many churches we do see. So let me come back to the question, what about you? Does the church and God's plan look frail to you? After all, when we look at the numbers in church compared with perhaps later today down at the river or at the park or in the plaza, Uh, When community leaders or the media tell us our churches are on the wrong side of history. When we're buttonholed by friends who think uh, we need their help because we've taken Jesus just a little bit too seriously. Or even among us, when we fail to love one another within church in the way in which we've been loved. I see those things too. Uh, There are plenty of reasons to be discouraged. But only if you think that's all there is to it. What Paul reminds us here is that the real power of God is in what he's doing, showing his loving kindness to people and gathering those of us who are scattered to himself and all that despite appearances appearances of the messenger and how he's treated, appearances of the writing as Paul was from prison. As Paul says himself in verse 13, and this is why he says it, I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, for you which are your glory. He understands his place and what it looks like even as he understands reality as we've heard it today. And if we could sit in the seats as that cosmic play is played out, we'd see it just as clearly. But we don't need to do that, do we? Because we have this reminder, God's reminder, written in Ephesians. In fact, we have all of chapters 1, 2 and 3 till here reminding us what life and our lives are really like when you pull back the curtain. So please don't be discouraged by God's church. This is actually real power. And this is what will really last. God's people, gathered by him, reconciled to one another, as we are reconciled to him. Of course, that means we also need to highly value God's church. I can't stress enough how the world we live in throws its weight behind individualism. Uh, To an individualism which runs very much counter to the very heart of church, to the plans God has given for us. Where the temptation is to see myself as an island and my priorities centred on me and my choices affecting only me. How easy is it for that to fill your thinking? where the individualism of the last several hundred years has gained even more momentum over the last several decades and seeped into our churches so that we don't even realise it's not Christian. But here is God's word, powerful to overcome uh, that message, that individualism, telling us we have been saved for church. From the beginning of creation we were made to live in community. That's made all the more clear when we are remade into this community. And what it says is we need each other. It's not Christian to say you're a Christian and you don't need church. We need to meet. We need to be involved in each other's lives so that like today we can remind each other of God's great plans and reality despite appearances. Have you said no to other things in order to highly value God's church? Uh, Most of us have and praise God for that. But we need to keep reminding each other to join together in our local church on Sundays and true growth groups each week. Uh, to say no to those, you know, kind and thoughtful requests that come from family or friends to do something else at the same time, except for the most serious or the wisest of circumstances. Yes, exercise grace to all the people in your life, but likewise, We need to be on the front foot exercising grace to each other. So let's keep encouraging each other to be committed and active members of our local church. Well, now that Paul said all that, (laughs) that's his aside, uh, he takes up the privilege to approach God as he says, uh, is our privilege in verse 12. And with Uh, that God's plan for the church is uppermost in his mind and he prays for the church, the people he's speaking to. Uh, What a privilege this is for us to listen to what the apostle prays so that we can imitate him in our prayers and learn what we ought to pray for each other as well as others uh, focusing on the gospel. We gave more attention to a similar prayer in uh, chapter 1, in the second half, so I'm just going to give you uh, the short highlights reel from this one. Notice first how the prayer is a natural response to what God's revealed. Uh, Paul He's recalled the great purposes of God uh, that fall squarely on Christ and the church, so it makes sense to pray that those same purposes would come about as he does. And we ought to let those things shape our prayers. Secondly, do you see how Paul recognises and praises the character of God? So he prays to the Father in verse 14 and acknowledges that he's the Father over the church. He asks that God would act by his spirit in verse 16 so that Christ in verse 17 may achieve his plans in us. Father, Son and Spirit. The God we meet in God's word is the God of relationships within himself uh, who treasures our relationships in the church and with him. And in verse 20 we're reminded that he has authority and power, the same power with which he's graced us and loved us into his kingdom to do what we ask and so the goal of our prayers and our lives ought to be to glorify God. Thirdly, What does Paul ask? In verse 16, that the church would be strengthened with power and have faith in Christ. In verse 17, uh, that we would grasp the height and depth and breadth and love of Christ. And in verse 19, that we would know this love so that we have the fullness that God has to offer us. They're perhaps wordy requests, and I've shortened a few of them, summarised them, but what do they mean? Don't they mean that we'd trust what Paul has already told us about Christ? Don't they ask that we'd grow in our knowledge of Christ? And don't they ask that we would grow up as followers of Christ? And that our churches, that the church will grow up from the days of the delivery room to adulthood. That's what these prayers are praying. Uh, They are big picture prayers with very down-to-earth implications. They're model prayers. Uh, They're prayers we can and no doubt should make our own. They're prayers that we can pray for each other as a church, As we pray them too for other churches. As we can as well pray them, well, for churches that haven't even come into existence yet. Look around you. You can look around. This is one of those moments. I know my mother taught me to never look around in church. Uh, But here is the power of God at work. Uh, That by the work of the Lord Jesus, we Together would be his church in all of our differences. We who were once on the outside of the promises of God could have our brokenness together overcome, our brokenness between us and God wiped away. May God keep strengthening us and maturing us as his church and to his glory. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, appearances uh, for us can be so deceptive when we look at things and assess them as not very impressive or powerful uh, or earth-shattering. And yet when we hear your word, it casts uh, so much in a different light. Thank you for your church Thank you for Christ who is head over the the church and indeed over us. Grant us uh, the the reminder and the ongoing remembrance uh, that we are part of the greatest event in history, the wonderful bringing together of people who were far from you and separated from each other and work in us, we pray. And particularly as we read Ephesians, to work out and work through what this will look like as we live it each day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.